0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Well, I have to be honest with you uh, that as I, as I started to prepare this message, I've struggled a little bit um, to, to figure out how to share it. Not because the truth of the word is, is, uh, uh, is difficult to discern, because quite honestly, it's very, very clear. Uh, the struggle that I have is in putting it in, uh, in the context that you will understand why it's necessary for us to talk about this right now, and maybe more importantly, what we're supposed to do with it once we understand the truth of the word. And, and so let me, uh, let me do this, and as I begin this, I want to say this is part of what we call the Taboo Series. It's a series that I started, I think, in 2013 to begin to address, and it's just an occasional series, as we begin to address issues that the church has been too, has been silent about for too long. There are some issues, if y'all grew up in the kind of church I grew up in, there's some things you just don't say in church. Some things you just don't talk about in church. Although there are things that you talk about Monday through Saturday, things that impact and affect your life, but we just didn't talk about it. So there are things that if the word addresses it, I think the church should be preaching it. We should be talking about it. And so this is part of the the taboo series today, and you'll understand why. So um, here's here's what it is that we're trying to address and why we're trying to address it. In February of this year, last month, the House of Representatives passed a bill called the Equality Act. Now, it passed the House. It has not been presented in the Senate yet. Uh, The basic premise of the bill is to extend the uh, protections of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Now, that landmark legislation in 1964 was designed to protect Americans from discrimination uh, on the basis of race of race and sex. The Equality Act seeks to extend those protections on the basis also of sexual orientation and gender identification. Now, what that means is that employers cannot deny a job Landlords cannot deny housing, and there, and there are other applications as well, but they can't, uh, they can't deny people on the basis of the fact that they are a part of the LGBTQ community. Now, a very similar bill passed the House of Representatives last year, did not pass the Senate. But this year, what's so concerning is that it, this version of the bill contains a provision that states there is no exception for based on religious objection that no matter what, how passionately or sincerely uh, an individual or an organization's conviction is about these issues, that there is no exemption. There, you just cannot avoid uh, applying the law. Here's why that's a problem. That would mean if we're seeking to hire a staff member at some point in the future, if a member of the LGBTQ community were to apply for that position, We could not deny them employment based on their lifestyle. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to hire them, but if they suspect that their choice of sexual partners played a role in our decision not to hire them, then they would have legal grounds on which to sue us. Now, there doesn't appear to be enough support in the Senate for it to pass this year. And there appears to be some, uh, some support even inside the Biden administration to add back the religious exemption if it does come, back, uh, come up in the Senate. But the fact that it continues to be passed by the House year after year and that now they're so bold as to add this uh, or to deny this religious exemption tells me that it's probably just a matter of time before this bill becomes law in our nation. And my concern as a pastor is that now there are probably a couple of generations of people who are in the church who don't know why there should be any conflict over this issue. People who wonder why, why it should matter. People who wonder why a person's uh, sex life has anything to do with God in the first place. And so today, I'm going to preach a message that I honestly, truly, sincerely expect will be illegal by the time I finish my pulpit ministry. It is already illegal in Canada. I could not preach this message this morning just north of, our, of the border with our northern neighbors. I am not angry. I am not judging. I don't hate anybody Uh, And it is my full expectation of myself and of every believer in this church that we will treat every human being with the utmost respect regardless of our opinions about their choices or their expressions. Okay? That's the word. But I'm bound by a law that is higher than the laws of this land. I am bound to preach what the Bible calls the whole counsel of God. So what I'm going to talk about today is not an isolated, minute reference tucked away in the Mosaic Law. These are principles that are repeated over and over again through Scripture. From before Moses was ever born, before the law certainly was ever given to him, and it extends well after the earthly ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the things that we're going to talk about today were established by God himself when there were only two people on this earth. And then they're reinforced all the way through the Old Testament and the New New Testament. So today we're going to talk about what God created. What God created. That's the name of the message today. Now please hear me. If you take one statement that I make today and disregard the context, you are being intellectually dishonest integrity demands that you hear the whole thing the tone the text and the context before you form an opinion of what's being presented today now let's dive in what God created we're in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 that's where we're going to start then God said let us make human beings in our image to be like us they will reign over the fish in the sea The birds in the sky, the livestock, uh, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So, God created, I want you to pay special attention to this. God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Okay? God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female he created them. After creating the rest of the world, God then turned his attention to the creation of a creature who would bear his name, who would bear his image, who would carry his glory and would fulfill his will on the earth. And he created Adam and then from Adam created Eve. The full expression of the Godhead, the full expression of the image and glory of God was carried out in the creation of Adam and Eve. It took both of them to carry the image and glory of God. It was not just found in the manhood of Adam or in the womanhood of Eve, but in humanity together. Both Adam and Eve were expressions of God's glory, expressions of God's image. They were not clones of God. They were not identical to God, but they bore his image in the sense that they were in three parts body, soul, and spirit, just like God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? Is everybody with me so far? So, from this creation story, what did God create that addresses the issues that we're talking about today? First of all, he created two genders. He created two genders. I thought it was interesting as I read this passage again, and, and, and how many times have we read this over and over again, but I thought it was interesting that it doesn't just say that he created two people. It, it, it doesn't just say that he created a man and created a woman. It says very specifically that he created male and female, two and only two genders. And those genders were assigned to them by their creator, and their differences and their ass- and the assignments were communicated. Y'all, hang with me here. The differences were communicated by some very obvious physical indicators. The Bible says that before they sinned, we'll read this in a minute, that they were naked and unashamed. So it did not take Adam and Eve long before they noticed. How to tell the difference in male and female. Are y'all with me today? Y'all okay? Is this too early for this? All right. All right. Y'all okay? Because I ain't showing pictures. I'm just telling you. I can't make it much plainer than this. Uh, Besides the fact that they were surrounded by animals who had a very specific and assigned gender, they figured this out. So this notion of gender was God's idea in the first place. And he created not just physical differences, not just sexual differences, but differences in physiology, differences in the way male and female bodies are made, differences in kinesiology, in the range of motion, in the strength that they're able to leverage, differences in endocrinology, in the way their hormones are arranged and put in. All the ologies, Look at all the ologies and they will tell you there is a clear difference in gender that is determined at birth and coordinates with their sex. Just because someone chooses to identify differently does not change all the things that connect that person to their God-given assigned gender. Now let me clarify something real quickly or just add this as a side note. I am aware that there is a rare disorder in which some babies are born with both male and female parts. It is very rare, but it does happen. This has nothing to do with that. Okay? That was that has to be an incredibly difficult thing for parents and certainly for the child. It's not funny, it's not a joke, it's an impossibly complicated circumstance. But it is the very rare exception and not the rule. Two genders were created, male and female, and those are assigned at birth by clear indicators. Now, let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 21 today. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, and here's what I referenced a minute ago. Now, the man and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. Now, in this passage, we see several more critical things that God created. He not only created two genders, but he also created sexuality. He created sexuality. God said the two will become one flesh, or in this version, the two will be united into one. That is a sexual statement. You say, listen, John, you need to quit being so nasty. that That's a spiritual joining of two eternal souls in holy matrimony. It's the completing of one with the other emotionally. It's really not. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? Some versions say one flesh. You're like, well, John, that still doesn't say, let me keep reading. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. It's the exact language, and this references specifically what we just read in Genesis. The Apostle Paul just like, he just snatched the poetry right out of that, didn't he? It it is a sexual statement, two becoming one. And And I want you, don't miss this, it was God's idea. This was God's idea. God is the the one who created sexuality, and he did it immediately upon creating Adam and Eve. Humanity has perverted it and twisted it into things that it was never intended to be, but it was originally one of God's gifts to humanity. Now, what else did God create? He didn't just create two genders, not just sexuality. He created heterosexuality. He created heterosexuality. The sexual union that God created uh, in the Garden of Eden was between a man and a woman. And in all of Scripture, that is a consistent standard that has never changed. Homosexuality is condemned from Old Testament to New Testament. It was not just in Deuteronomy. It was not just part of the Mosaic law that doesn't necessarily apply to us as Gentiles. It's found over and over again in Scripture, and the standard has never changed. I want to show you two passages of Scripture in the New Testament. First, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. So this, these are things that people do wrong that will prevent them from inheriting the kingdom. Those who indulge in sexual sin, uh, who worship idols, who, are, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, who practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at, look at Paul giving hope in this in context. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. But don't, don't forget, in, in that context, in that verse, it states that homosexuality is a sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, the law is for people who are sexually immoral, those who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news, the gospel, entrusted to me by our blessed Lord. Now we're going to come back to those verses in just a few minutes. But, but there is no, if there is no moral authority on which to justify slave trading, if there's no moral and scriptural authority upon which to justify prostitution, if there's no moral or scriptural authority upon which to justify idol worship, then you cannot also justify homosexuality. God's creation and intention was not just that we be sexual, not just creating sexuality, but heterosexuality. Now, what else did God create? Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. We actually already did. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt No shame. He also, God also created marital sexuality. Marital sexuality. He created sex in the context of marriage. That verse just says the man and his wife. They were married. Adam and Eve were married. Did did y'all catch that? Are y'all okay? Listen, quit shouting me down. It's so hard to to focus when y'all screaming at me like that. Adam and Eve were married. She is identified not just as the woman, but as his wife. And the God who created sexuality in the first place gave it place and purpose and priority in marriage. In marriage. In Genesis 1, he told them to be fruitful and multiply, giving procreation as one of the purposes of marriage. In the Song of Solomon, he describes the pleasure and sensuality of marital sex, giving it the purpose of recreation. In Hebrews 13, he sanctifies sex in the context of marriage. I want you to see this in in Hebrews 13 and 4. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. And God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit Adultery. In another translation, it says that the marriage bed is undefiled. Give honor to marriage because the marriage bed is undefiled. In 1 Corinthians, he calls husbands and wives to selfless sex and tells them not to deprive each other so they don't, so they don't seek to have their desires met in another way. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and his wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control all right so there's no question that from beginning to end God ordained marital sexuality two more things that we need to see what if you say John what if homosexuals marry isn't the issue that there's no commitment in the relationship what if they choose to marry then would that be okay Let's go back to the verse before we just read in 1 Corinthians 7. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Paul says, because there's so much uh, sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Not partner, not spouse. Did you see that? The man should have a wife, the, the woman should have a husband. So, no room for... Homosexual marriage in the Word of God. Now, in several places, here's a second thing. In several places that we've already read, including Genesis, wife and husband are singular, not plural. God said a man would leave his father and his mother for his wife. Listen, he can't leave twice. He ain't going to leave mom and daddy, go get married, and then come back home until he finds another woman he wants to marry. That's not the deal. Monogamous marriage is what God created. Not open marriages, not throuples, not swingers, not all the other ways that we've chosen to reinterpret, uh, there's a euphemism, reinterpret marriage in the 21st century. None of that. One man, one woman committed to each other for life. That's what God created. So you see, throughout Scripture, God has a lot to say about sexuality and gender. I think he addresses it. He has so much to say about it because sexuality is so important to our own identity and it's important. It's an important part of who we are as a people and as a culture. So if God has so much to say about it, it's incumbent upon us as believers and followers of Jesus to find out what he says and figure out how that should affect our beliefs and our attitudes and our actions and our opinions. And it's more important than ever because things that we used to be able to take for granted are no longer a given in our culture. We have to be able to speak an eternal, transcendent, superseding truth into the important issues of our day. There has to be a truth that stands, that does not change, and against which we measure every other opinion and fact. See, we live in a society that, it, that preaches a gospel of anything goes. But there is still a God, and what he says still matters. He's the one who created this world in the first place, he's the one who knows what's best. It'll be him who sits on the throne at the end of the age and will judge the world. So it's time that we get back to knowing and believing and practicing what the word of God says. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. Republican and Democrat is going to pass away. Kings and kingdoms are going to pass away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Forever. Now, we have a number of issues in the American church right now in regards to this issue and many others. One of the biggest problems that we have in America is with the issue of, uh, with the issue of, of sexuality and gender. Is not in the world. It's in the American church. The, did y'all hear me? The problem's not in the world. The problem's in the church. The opinions of the world have not changed. The world's always had a whatever-feels-right attitude. The problem is that the people of the church either don't know or don't care what the Word says anymore. Many denominations have already surrendered to the cultural pressure and have completely abandoned the authority of Scripture. They have decided that it's that it was either written by men with no inspiration and therefore has no bearing on today, or they've decided it's it's antiquated, or they've decided that the commandments are just suggestions and that its opinions are are, are only valid if we accept them. They've completely abandoned the authority of Scripture. The United Methodist Church will split over this issue in just a few months. It's just a matter of whether they're going to do it in May over a Zoom meeting or do it next year when they're face-to-face, but it's going to happen. When the church abandons the authority of God as eternal truth, then one person's opinion is just as important as somebody else's. There has to be an objective truth, an eternal truth. And the, the spiritual reality is there is an eternal truth. As the word says, let God be true and every man a liar. There is coming a time when we will have to choose between the laws of man and the law of God. And we need to choose now. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we need to choose now. The other issue that we're facing in the church is that church people, notice I did not say believers. Y'all come on. (laughs) I'm trying hard. All right? Not believers, church people. uh, We seem to, pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to emphasize. I I want to go back to some of the passages that we've already been to and make sure that you see the bigger picture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we talked about the joining of yourself with a prostitute is becoming one flesh with them. I want to go back and give you the full context. Okay, So we're going to start in verse 12, take a run and start all the way through some of the scriptures we've already read. Paul is trying to address the Corinthian church who believes that now that we're saved, we've been saved. So that means we've been set free. Our sins are forgiven. So that means we are free to do whatever we want to. That Jesus die, his blood covers everything that we've ever done or ever will do. That's what Paul's trying to, trying to address. I am, uh, so he says, you say I'm allowed to do anything. And then his reply to that is, but not everything is good for you. Even though I am, again, in quotes, I am allowed to do anything, Paul said, I must not become a slave to anything. Then he, again, he says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, whatever feels good to my body is what I should do. It's just natural. And he says, this is true that the food's for the stomach and the stomach's for food, but someday God's going to do away with both the stomach and the food. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us up from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should, you take, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Never he says. Never. And don't you realize that if, this, we read this just a minute ago, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So here's the conclusion. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Why is that a big deal? Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Sexual immorality is a huge deal to God. Not just homosexuality, sexual immorality is a problem and he warns us about it over and over and over and over but we seem to have forgotten what he says about every other part except for homosexuality. We've cherry-picked this issue right out of the middle and we've remained silent about the rest of it. Let's go back to the two scriptures we read about just a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's what we've used to beat homosexuals over the head with. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, time out. Does that say homosexuality? Not yet. Sexual sin, or who worship idols, or, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality. There's not a period there. It continues, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's read the next one that we read a minute ago. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, or who practice homosexuality, or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching of The gospel. We have to be faithful to the text. You cannot, you you can, you shouldn't just get it, just open, just flip it open, close your eyes, point to a scripture, and make it say what you want it to say, and disregard everything else it says. You have to be faithful to all of the text. And the problem is we've got preachers and other people who claim to be believers who are screaming at the top of their lungs about gender and sexuality but who are committing adultery and are greedy and cheaters and abusive and drunkards and liars and are living lifestyles that oppose the wholesome teaching of God. And we've surrendered the moral high ground because we don't live what we say we believe in the American church. Too often people have found the American church to be hypocrites and they're right. The very scriptures that we use to support our passionate arguments are torn to shreds in the eyes of the world because we clearly only use what's convenient to us and forget about the rest of it. You say, John, so you're saying we, should just, we, we shouldn't oppose this legislation, that we should just accept the LGBTQ agenda? No, I've just spent 20 minutes laying it out spiritually while we have a scriptural obligation to oppose it. I'm just saying it can't be one or the other. It's not a call for hate. It's a call for holiness. And holiness is not defined by our preferences Holiness is not defined by our faults and our flaws and our failures. Holiness is defined by the Word of God. If we say we believe it, then let's believe all of it and let's practice all of it. So we can't hire a homosexual or a transgendered person for the same reason that we can't hire someone that's having an affair Or someone who's looking at pornography because Jesus said if you're lusting after someone to commit adultery with them in your heart, you've already done it. We can't hire somebody who's not living that life because it doesn't line up with the biblical standard for sexual purity. It doesn't line up with what God created. And that's not only our legal right right now. It's our moral and scriptural responsibility. It's our obligation, regardless of whether or not it's legal. And that's why we have to be concerned about this legislation and others like it and all that might come in the future. We've got to open our eyes and pay attention to what's going on around us and how it affects us. You say, "Mm, John, listen, this holding up this biblical standard of sexual purity, that... That's kind of a high standard for us to live up to, right? Because, like, I got needs that need to be met. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tempted by the beautiful women or the handsome men at work or at the ball field or, or, or the pornography that seems to be everywhere. So, this standard of biblical purity has kind of a high bar. I know. Sexual purity is not easy. But listen, isn't that what we say? when we discount and ignore members of the LGBTQ community when they say it? Don't they say, but I am attracted to members of the opposite sex? Don't they say, I feel more like a woman than a man? Don't they say, I guess I was born this way because I can't seem to help the way I feel? And what do we say in response? You just need to resist that urge and be who God made you to be. Well, men and women of God, born of God, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, what's good for them should be good for us too. Even more so because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And of the promise that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to see this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Because the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. The beauty of the gospel is that God always has a way for us to overcome the temptations that we face. If we will simply surrender to him. If we'll choose to follow his path. If we choose to do it on our own, we choose to try to stand against the temptation ourselves, then we'll wind up falling on our faces. You say, John, you sound like you're trying to humanize these people. You sounds like you're trying to help us understand these people. That's exactly what I'm doing. For the reasons that I outlined last week, we have a mission given to us by Jesus to go and make disciples of everyone. Who's going to witness to them if we're repulsed by their sin more than everybody else's? Who's going to reach them? Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to love them into the kingdom if we don't? You say, well, John, I, I know the truth about these people, and I just, I just can't accept them. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's the one who said, Whosoever will may come. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready to love and to lead these people to Jesus. There will be a time in Bremen, Georgia, when a transgendered person will walk in the doors of this church if they haven't already. I know we've had members of the gay community in in this church over the years. This is when the rubber meets the road for us. Do you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that that his blood washes away our sin? Do you really believe that whosoever will may come? Do we have enough grace and enough love to welcome people who may sin differently than we do? People who... Are tempted with different things than we're tempted with you say well listen john i I guess that's okay to let them in but they're gonna have to stop that stuff if they're gonna come to church here well what about the teenagers that are having sex do are they welcome can they come what about the people who are living together and not married yet is it okay for them to come what about the the person that's looking at porn every day at work is it okay for them What about the lady who's lusting in her heart after a man at work and is having an emotional affair with this person? Do they have to stop attending? It's all sexual immorality. It's all condemned by Scripture in the same places that homosexuality is condemned. You cannot grab one and ignore the rest. Say, John, I was really kind of into this to begin with. But now you're just meddling. You know, now, now it sounds like you're trying to get all woke or something. Like you're trying to tell us we should be around notorious sinners. You can call it whatever you want to. But the more you describe it, the more it sounds like Jesus. He came to the sinners. As a matter of fact, it was the church people that criticized him. Jesus said... I didn't come to those who think they're righteous. I came to those who know they're sinners. You're saying if somebody comes in here who was born one gender but is now identifying as something else, that they're welcome? I'm saying that no matter what they've done to their bodies, they still have a soul that needs to be saved. And no matter how far they've strayed from God's intention and God's will for their lives, just like you did and just like I did, that they are still created in the image of God. And according to Romans 8, there is nothing that they've done or nothing that they can do that will ever separate them from the love of God. You say, well, what about Romans 1 where it talks about reprobate minds? Listen, if God's voice is still calling them and their ears are still hearing him call, then let them call. And it's not up to us to decide who's reprobate and who's not. It's his love that will draw them to repentance if our hate doesn't get in the way. What God created was perfect. What humans have created is a mess that seems to be our specialty. But we have a God. We have a God who saves. We have a God who heals. We have a God who restores. We have a God who redeems. We have a God who sets people free. He makes old things pass away. He makes all things become new. He wasn't intimidated by the sin in your life. He's not intimidated by the sin in their lives. and we can't be either. I don't think we understand, and that's what Paul said. How can we even begin to understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth? The breadth of the love of Jesus. We think it has limits. We think that homosexuality or transgenderism is the unpardonable sin. It's interesting how we draw lines around the things that don't affect us, right? We use, we use ink around the ones that don't affect us and pencil around the things that do. The blood of Jesus. Covers all of that. All of it. The love of Jesus is not affected, it's not limited. It will never be superseded by anything in our lives. Listen, I know there are disturbing trends in this world. There's no question about that. But we have a truth that transcends governments and politics. We have a hope that supersedes sin and temptation. Don't separate the truth from the hope. He's the same person. His name is Jesus. Y'all stand with me, please. So we're going we're gonna to pray together, and Corey's going to sing be dismissed together in a minute. And this altar is open for you to come and, and to pray about anything you got going on. Right? We don't limit our altar calls to just one particular thing. So if you got a decision that you got coming up, you want to pray about it, you got a need in your in your body, in your whatever it is, you, you feel free to come. But let's don't rush our way out of this word. Let's don't rush our way out of the truth of the, of, of the word of God. Um, you're like, John, what am I supposed to do with this word? What, what in the what meaneth this? Like, what what do I do with this? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit what you're supposed to do with it? Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit like I did in first service and through the week? Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my way. See if there's anything in me that's offensive to you. See if there's anything in me that's offensive to the people that I've been called to reach. See if there's an attitude in me that's going to prevent me from being the light and the salt in this world that we live in. Lord, get our hearts right. Get our hearts ready to go into the world and make disciples of everybody. Let's start there. See where the Holy Spirit takes us. Let's pray. Father, search me. Search me, Lord, and and reveal Lord, you know I pray this all the time. Lord, if there's sin in my life, reveal it to me so that you don't have to reveal it in me. God, I pray that you would show it to me and give me the courage and the strength to repent and to take another road. Lord, to turn my back on it and walk in the complete opposite direction because I don't want anything in my life that's offensive to you or to the people that you've called me to reach. And Lord, as the pastor of this church, I pray that this is a place that's open to anybody who is sincerely seeking Jesus. Lord, I pray that that they find the love. They they may come nervous, scared, expecting to be rejected. Lord, may they find in, in opposition to that a love that they've never known. A grace, a presence of God that they've never experienced. And God, like you do and have done for all of us, Lord, I pray that your love would call them to repentance so that all of us can be members of your body and recreated in your image over and over again. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
0: Amen.